Welcome back to our study of First Kings. We are in First Kings chapter 14 once again this week, and we are looking at verses 21 to 31 today. And what we're going to see here is the idolatry that was taking place in Judah and the foreshadowing of the coming exile of Judah. So last time, or here recently, we've seen how Jeroboam led the northern kingdom of Israel into idolatry with the two golden calves that he made and his own religion that he established. And we saw that um, the prophet uh, foretold the coming exile of the nation of Israel, the northern kingdoms, the ten tribes under the rule of Jeroboam. And this time we're going to see what's going on in Judah in the southern kingdom under Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and what is going to take place as a result of the sin going on in Judah. So let's look together at 1 Kings chapter 14, beginning in verse 21. It says, Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed, more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So let's pause there. Right? We uh, again have seen that Jeroboam's sin led the whole nation of Israel into sin. For example, in, in verse 16 of chapter 14, it said, And he will give Israel up, the Lord will give Israel up, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. And that doesn't mean that he compelled them to sin, most likely. It just means that by him leading them into sin, he caused them to sin as well. So we're familiar now then with the idolatry of the northern kingdom of Israel. But if Jeroboam's idolatry led the whole nation of Israel into idolatry, do we really think that Solomon's idolatry didn't have an effect on the tribe of Judah there in Jerusalem? Solomon went after idols near the end of his life. That's why the kingdom has been divided, right? That was a consequence of, um, of Solomon's sin that God in, in, uh, brought on his people. Um, and we were told that Solomon's heart was turned away toward idols by his wives. In, in 1 Kings 11, verses 4 and 5, it says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So if, if Solomon was going after idols, like Jeroboam was going after idols, doesn't it seem likely that the nation of Judah, the tribe of Judah, has also 
been made captive to idols, just like Jude, uh, uh, Jeroboam uh, caused the nation of Israel to be captive to idols. And notice uh, that in that list of idols that Solomon worshipped was uh, the god Milcom, whom he calls the abomination of the Ammonites. And notice who Rehoboam's mother is, Naamah of the Ammonites. Right? So, um, if, his, if Rehoboam's mother was an Ammonite and Solomon was worshiping the god of the Ammonites, probably Rehoboam's mother was an idolater. Um, and certainly his father was worshiping the, the god, the idol that was worshipped in the homeland of his mother. And so, uh, what are, what's the likelihood that Rehoboam is going to escape that idolatry? Uh, what's the likelihood that the nation is going to escape that idolatry? It would have been possible, of course, but it does not seem to have been the case. Notice that in verse 22, it sa- verse 22, it says that Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than all that their fathers had done. So worse than it had been before was the sin going on in Judah during the reign of Rehoboam. And what in particular were they doing that was so sinful? Well, when it says that they provoked the Lord to jealousy, what in the Bible are we told provokes the Lord to jealousy. Well, in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20, notice which command has a warning of jealousy attached to it. In Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, God says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So uh, God is jealous for his people's worship, right? He wants them to be faithful to him. And if they are unfaithful uh, toward, uh, and, and turn toward idols or craft for themselves idols, that is going to provoke the Lord to jealousy. In Deuteronomy 32, God says, They have made me jealous with what is no God, that is, with an idol. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So again, it's idolatry. It's a worship of another God that provokes the Lord's jealousy. Israel is in a covenant relationship with God. It's like a marriage. And when Israel turns to idols, it's a form of adultery, spiritual adultery. And God like any good husband, is jealous for the love of his bride, of his people. And so he becomes jealous when they turn to idols. Uh, Psalm 78, 58 says, They provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. So likely what is being talked about here when it says in verse 22 that they provoked the Lord to jealousy is the idolatry that they were committing. And that is what we see spelled out more clearly in verse 23, where it says, For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and Asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. So these high places and these pillars, these Asherim, these are all uh, 
ways or places where they are committing idolatry, where they are worshiping other gods, where they are worshiping in a way that is contrary to what God commanded them to do. Notice um, what God says to Israel in Deuteronomy 12 and how it fits uh, or doesn't fit, as it were, with what Israel is doing here in verse 23. Deuteronomy uh, 12 says, These are the statutes and rules that you should be careful to do in the land of the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. So God says, when I bring you into the land, I'm going to choose a place and that's going to be where you worship. And they're in the land now, and he's chosen that place. It's Jerusalem. That's where the temple is, where God's uh, name dwells in the temple that Solomon built. But where are they worshiping? They built themselves high places and pillars and asherim under every green tree. They're doing exactly what the nations before them did, worshiping in the wrong places, in the wrong way, worshiping the wrong gods. They're doing exactly what God commanded them not to do. They're provoking the Lord to jealousy with their idols. Verse 24 says that there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 23.17 says, None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, and none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. So there again, they're doing exactly what God told them not to do in the law. And when it says in verse 24 that they were doing all the abominations of the nations, what are those? What are the things that the nations were doing that were abominations before God that now the nation of Judah is doing? Well, if you want a list of some of the abominations committed by the nations, uh, read Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18 gives a lengthy list of sexual sins that were occurring in Canaan, the land of Canaan, before Israel's arrival. And it summarizes that list with these words. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were here before who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. So we don't even have to read the rest of first and second Kings to know where this is going. God told his people, even before they came into the promised land, when you come into the land, I'm going to appoint a place. 
and that's where you're going to worship, and here's how you're going to worship, and here's what you're not going to do, and here's what you are going to do, and you're not going to worship idols, and you're not going to have these pillars and asherim and all that. You're going to be holy and totally devoted to me, and you're not going to do any of these abominations that the nations before you were doing, because the whole reason they are being booted out of the land so that you can come in, part of the reason why they're being uh, taken out is because of the abominations that they have done. And so if you do those abominations, the land is going to vomit you out just like it vomited them out. So if now Israel is provoking God to jealousy with idols, is breaking God's law, is committing the same abominations committed by the nations before them, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be removed from the land. They're going to be judged by God and they're going to be taken out in exile. Now, that's where the whole story of 1st and 2nd Kings is headed. It's going to tell us in 2nd Kings 17 about the exile of Israel for its idolatry. And then in 2nd Kings 25, it's going to tell us about Judah's exile because of Judah's idolatry. But we already know just from reading this one paragraph that that's where the story is headed for Judah. And we saw earlier in chapter 14 that that's where the story is headed for the nation of Israel. But we also get a picture of this, a foreshadowing of this, or you could even say a, a, a prophetic foretelling of this through what happens in verses 25 to 28. Look what happens here. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guard room. So in the fifth year of Rehoboam's reign as king, the king of Egypt, Shishak, comes uh, to Jerusalem and he takes by force, apparently, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the house of the king. So the king of Egypt comes and plunders Jerusalem, right? You don't just give these things away unless there's some sort of show of force or something like that. So the king of Egypt is plundering Jerusalem. Now think about the significance of that. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, Israel plundered the Egyptians. Remember, God told them to ask their uh, the Egyptians asked them for jewelry and various things, and they gave them to them. And then the last plague fell upon them, and they said, get out of here. And so they left Egypt with the things given to them by the Egyptian, Egyptians, and thus they plundered the Egyptians. They came out like a conquering army with all the spoils of war, even though they hadn't had to so much as unsheath the sword, because the Lord had fought for them. Well, now that is being reversed as the Egyptians come to Jerusalem and plunder Judah. They take the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the house of the king. In fact, they take the shields of gold. He says it took away everything, 
Right? This is a, a very a thorough plundering. And it says that he took away the shields of gold that Solomon made. And what does Rehoboam do? He replaces them with shields of bronze. That's an indication of how badly Judah has been humbled, how badly Judah has been plundered, that the gold that was taken away is now being replaced by bronze. All right, so um, all, of, all of that right, is pointing forward to what's going to happen when the Babylonians come and not only plunder the temple, but also burn it down. At the very last chapter, the end of the book, 2 Kings 25, tells us the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord and the stands and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service, the fire pans and also the bowls. Uh, the fire pans also and the bowls. What was of gold, the captain of the guard took away as gold, and what was of silver, as silver. As for the two pillars, the one sea, and the stands that Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these vessels was beyond weight. So at the end, the Babylonians are going to plunder the temple and then burn down what remains as a part of uh, Jerusalem's suffering because of her sin, because of her idolatry. And here's something interesting to think about. If First and Second Kings were originally one book, right, and Second Kings ends with the destruction of Jerusalem, that means First and Second Kings couldn't have been written, at least not finished, until after the destruction of Jerusalem and the beginning of the exile, which means anybody who's reading First and Second Kings knows about the exile, knows about the destruction of the of Jerusalem, especially uh, anybody who's reading it, uh, you know, early on or hearing it read early on. We're so far away, you might not be as familiar with the exile of Jerusalem, but those who would have been close to it who would have uh, you know, heard or read this book early on, probably would have been very familiar with it. Which means as they're reading the end of 1 Kings 14, they would see in these events a hint of the exile to come, a hint of the plundering to come, a hint of the destruction of the temple to come as the Egyptians plunder the temple. And finally, verses 29 to 31 says, Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually, and Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite, and Abijam his son reigned in his place. So Rehoboam's reign comes to an end without any indication here at least that he has sought to lead the people away from idolatry, that he has sought to lead the people toward the Lord. Instead, the people under the reign of Jeroboam are idolaters. They are covenant breakers. They are transgressors. And as a result of their sin against the Lord, God has been provoked to jealousy. They are bringing upon themselves the curses of the covenant that God warned them about uh, through Moses. And the, um, the end of the story Right, or at least the end of this part of the story, is we already know what that's going to be based on what is happening right now. And just as we've said before, these stories are a warning and a reminder to us of the importance 
of uh, being devoted wholly and totally toward the Lord and of removing from our lives any idols, anything that would seek to take God's place, uh, anything that we would be tempted to put uh, as primary or preeminent in our lives, anything that we would seek to elevate to ultimate status, uh, we must repent whenever we do that um, and give the Lord first place because idolatry is something that God takes very seriously and it's something that brings uh, pain and destruction into our lives if we don't repent of it. So trust the Lord, love the Lord, keep yourselves from idols as John says at the end of 1 John, little children, keep yourselves from idols uh, because idols cannot satisfy, idols cannot save. But the Lord alone can save and satisfy. God bless.